Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And well, that was a bit more like it, wasn't it? Bruno Fernandes, good chance! Oh, it's a goal! It's a captain's goal for Bruno Fernandes! It's another late goal in the Premier League for Manchester United! And that could be so valuable to them and to Eric Ten Hag! Fulham nil, Manchester United won in stoppage time at Craven Cottage! We'll be looking back on United finally getting a win, even though the performance wasn't much better. We won't gloss over that, I promise. We will get into exactly what went on at Craven Cottage. We'll discuss why Marcus Rashford was missing the game. And of course, we'll preview another key match in the Champions League. Another must-win for Manchester United. It feels like every single match is that at the moment, considering the way this season has started. But alas, here we are. Karl Anker and Andy Mitten. Both with us again, and gentlemen, you had a lovely trip to London together, didn't you, Andy? A pair of you were going for jollof rice and you know having a nice time, I believe. No, 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 no. no. Do you know what the reality was? Carl came up to me outside the beautiful old main stand at Craven Cottage, pulled a big bag of Maltesers out of his pocket, passed them towards me, and looked at me in a way which said, "I want to exchange these for a copy of United We Stand." So I handed over a publication and then he did one and I didn't speak to him anymore after that. So I've said about two words to him, even though we were both at the same game together, I thought I'd be getting invited out, Joloff chicken, the lot, meeting all of his mates. I'm still in London now, just sat by myself in an hotel, get your bailing out. I'm really sorry, Andy, but I had a horrible, horrible bug when I got on the train to London at eight o'clock in the morning. I went down on the train to the snack carriage to the train station and asked for some hot water for some lemsip. And he, you know, the training snack person looks at me, pours two cups of boiling water, uh, doesn't charge me for the hot water and just went, look, you need this more than me. I neck two lemsip, fall asleep on the train for about an hour and I wake up just covered in sweat before I get to London Euston. So I was not, I was not at my best before I got to Craven Cottage. I apologize. I was only joking, mate. <laughs> Did you eat the Maltesers, Andy? Yeah, I did all gone within yeah, about good, four hours straight good, up. Good. So hopefully the the bug that Carl had didn't transfer itself onto that bag of Maltesers. <laughs> otherwise, you might be struggling by the time uh, the Copenhagen game comes around. I, I was feeling quite jealous at the end of the last pod when you two were uh, were exchanging plans. But let's talk about the game. Manchester United won. That's the good bit. Was there any other good bits, Carl? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It was it was it wasn't a fantastic performance. The first half, I did a lot of huffing and puffing in my seat, uh, and and the goal I think w- was more cathartic. Just gave you a little a little bit of a relief, another breather. Just it's nice when your team wins the early kickoff because that means you can watch everyone else have a bit of a mess. So Arsenal lost, Liverpool didn't win, United won. 
good, fine. On to the next. Yeah, uh, there were performances in there, Andy, to to, to pick out, which we will do, I'm sure. But collectively, it wasn't much better. But I guess the win is the important aspect, isn't it? That's exactly what United needed, three points, and, and try and build on that now moving forward. A win with a winner in the 91st minute in front of 3,000 away fans who really found a voice towards the end of the, the, the game. It's a beautiful place to go to. We should mention the ticket protest that Fulham's fans had because of the price of their tickets keeps shooting up. It was the most middle-class protest I've ever been to. They held up these, these cards, which I totally agree with, by the way. They were, they were laminated, really, really, like really well-produced, <laughs> laminated yellow cards. So laminated yellow cards that they, that they would wave at, they'd wave at the 18th minute in protest of price, ticket prices going up by around about 18%. And um, this is a real problem for Fulham in that, when they get promoted, the ticket prices go up. They get go back down to the championship. They don't. The prices don't go back down, and then they get promoted again, and they go back up even further. I think it was something like a hundred and sixty pound for some of the tickets for home fans. What for general admission tickets? Yeah, yeah, it's, for a general it, admission. It's triple it, figures. It's, wow, it's really pricey to watch Premier League football at Fulham now. So good on them for protesting. It was a very um, dignified. And a gentle protest, shall we say. Yeah, from, from laminated yellow cards that start with please to a, a bed sheet <laughs> that's been sprayed with black spray paint with the message, play like you mean it, exclamation mark. Andy, I believe you know the, the inside track on this uh, said bed sheet. So I was stood outside the ground selling United We Stands and Stuart Forrest came past with his two sons. Saw your video. Place United We Stand, £3. Good. N- needs must, mate. We've got only a few got messages two- to say... I see you're at Fulham, Ian. <laughs> yeah, that was true. <laughs> well, because I think we had seven home games in five weeks and then there's two home games in seven weeks, so needs must. So yeah. you stand outside Fulham and um, and that's what I did. And Stuart Forrest came past with his two sons and he was the lad who had the banner and I didn't realise how much it would be picked up on. Stuart's a smart lad. He's, he's well-respected. I've known him at the, the match for years and... And the, the, that message, I think, got picked up on. And, and I think the point is right. The team have not been playing well all season. I don't even think they played well on Saturday. I, I saw an XG sat. Is that ec, ec, expected geek? <laughs> and at half-time, it was like 0.26 against 0.28. Carlo makes sense of this, but it was a, it was a really poor game. It got... Doesn't sp- attack very much, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It got marginally better in the... In the second half, and at times I thought Manchester United are going to lose again here. So good of them for digging in. You know we can talk about some of the players who did well, um, but the three points, as you said, Ian, is 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 the headline. It's interesting to hear Scott McTominay say that the players had seen the banner even before the game and had talked about it together as well, which shows that it's having an impact. Um, and and I, you know I think I think they know anyway, don't they? That that the the level has to be higher. Um, you know, it was only one game and, and hopefully, you know, it can be a turning point for United because there's been a few of these already this season where they've dug out a win and they've not really built on it. Harry Maguire is definitely a player we need to talk about, Carl, for numerous reasons. Can we start with his his performance first? I mean, he was picked out uh, on English television on Match of the Day for his performance. Um, it's getting better, isn't it? It is getting better. It is getting better. That's probably the best game he's played at right centre-back. He... Manchester United's team-wise, 
uh, pressing game was better. So they, they pressed Fulham quite well, which made Fulham have to play quite a few long balls, which suits Maguire. So a lot of the game was in front of him. You, know, you could see it. Uh, there's two or three times where you know he's on, he's in his one view on duels and he, he's tackling well. Did a lot of headed clearances, uh, and yeah, you know he did the simple stuff really well. Um, didn't get himself any silly bookings, to my memory. I will have to double check that now. I've said that. <laughs> it was the most impressed I've been by Harry Maguire at playing on the right hand side. Carl, as well, that's him being preferred to Raphael Varane in that position, isn't it? It feels like that's the decision for Ten Hag. I don't think it's uh, Johnny Evans over Raphael Varane because he wants Evans to play on the, the left side of the defence. Andy, you're nodding at me. Johnny Evans was chosen over Raphael Varane. Oh, right. So he was chosen over Raphael Varane. I'm confused now. <laughs> Ten Hag explains this after the derby about... So his, his explanation is you cannot have Harry Maguire and... You cannot have Harry Maguire left centre-back and Raphael Varane mm. right centre-back because... That that limits the uh, the ability for Onana to pass out from the back because he Ten Hag truly believes Harry Maguire is best off on the right hand side and the angles in which he gets on the ball and makes tackles on the right hand side is much better. And Rafael Varane, while he is, in my opinion and many United fans' opinion, the best centre back at doing defending work, he's not the best on the ball. And we've seen two or three games where opposition teams will f- basically press and funnel the ball towards Varane. To make knowing that Varane's either going to try and pass it sideways and he can't really pass it forward, so Ten, Ten Hag is has reason that Johnny Evans is, is the best option you've got left centre back because Shaw and Martinez are injured, and at right centre back he'd much rather have Maguire there for what Maguire offers on the ball than than what Referee Varane offers as a defender. Carl and I were asked to predict our teams on Thursday for the Athletic, and I predicted a defence of Aaron Wambasaka, Harry Maguire. Johnny Evans and Diogo Dalot at left back and people were like are you completely mad I'm like no I'm not and I'll say again Johnny Evans was chosen over Raphael Varane and Carl's absolutely right in all the stuff that Eric Ten Hag has said but I'll stick by my line yep yep I picked Sergio Reguilón, Harry Maguire Raphael Varane <laughs> and Diogo Dalot at right back one out of four ain't bad people said, people, said, people said I was mad Dif- diff- different yeah, kind of mad um, um. Well, whatever the decision that Ten Hag made, um, Harry Maguire did play well. Yeah. And he played well despite the fact that he got a very heavy knock uh, to his head early on in the game, which obviously has caused a, a huge debate as well. How he was able to carry on despite taking this, this head knock. In the first 30 seconds of the game, Harry Maguire goes in for an aerial duel with Rodrigo Munez. And it looks like Rodrigo's shoulder collides with the bottom of his head. Uh, and play continues. I'd say about a minute later, Maguire is on the ball and is trying to make a pass to Aaron Wambasaka, and he misplaces this pass badly, really badly. He sort of misses it by about five yards, passes it directly out of play, and then more or less slowly falls down to his knees. He gets some medical treatment. This is all within the first 90 seconds of the game, and many of us in the press box are going, Maguire might be concussed here. You can, we, you know, you look across the dugout and you can see Rafael Varane is warming up. Maguire gets treatment for about three or four minutes. Uh, and then during one Fulham attack, he runs back onto the field. So this is this is the first 10 minutes of the game. And then within that first half, there are two or three instances where Maguire doesn't look right. In the second half, he's playing very well. He makes a lot of block. I think he makes seven clearances across the game. He makes at least three clearances with his head. Because you know, Maguire is very, very good in the air. He does a lot of headers. 
Partway through the second half, the referee looks at Maguire and says, you're not looking right, off you go. So he goes off again and gets a form of treatment, comes back on and he finishes the game. In the press conference, Sam Wallace from Telegraph asked Ten Hag, did Harry Maguire do concussion tests? Ten Hag said no, because now, in I was in the room and it sounded as if Ten Hag said, no, he didn't because he didn't have a concussion. He had a head injury. We all raised our head. We all, you, know, you all raise your eyebrows going, hang on. What's the difference between a head injury and a concussion? Then further on in the press conference, Ten Hag uh, sort of asks for a redo on that question and then elaborates and says, I didn't mean a head injury. I meant a hand injury. Then following the press conference, Manchester United elaborated to me further and said in the first half, when he got medical treatment, it was for a suspected concussion and he passed that. And in the second half, it was for an unrelated hand injury that he went off and that he passed whatever hand injury treatment. I watched match of the day in my hotel room uh, on Saturday night. And I, I believe Danny Murphy was going, that's not, I, I can't see the referee point to Harry Maguire's hand in the second half. And at no point it, it does Maguire sort of gesture to his hand at all. So that's what United say. Danny Murphy expressed confusion in the room. I was in the room and the first time Ten Hag talked about it, it sounded like head injury, but apparently it was a hand injury. I think it's a good explainer, Carl, and, and there's a lot of good detail in there. And it's to, to Harry's credit that he played so well alongside Johnny Evans after that. You're quite right about the blocks. Fulham's best attacks all came in the second half, all around the hour time. And Harry was blocking a couple of them. He looked control all afternoon. Um, he was the person who meant that United's opener, in inverted commas, was was Vard. But yeah, it's, it's been a good couple of weeks, not last week, but the, the, the weeks before that for, for, for Harry Maguire. And I think that it was probably his best performance of the season. And to do that, having gone down within the first minute. Yeah, we're obviously praising Maguire for his performance. And um, if United say that he, he, he passed the concussion test, then, you know, you, you obviously you, you can't argue with that it always comes up Carl when you see a player suffer a head injury about these concussion protocols and about whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing because if he still seems to be suffering the effects of it in the second half then that doesn't feel great does it no and I want to there was a game I want to say from 2018 it might be 2017 Watford beat Manchester United 3-1 this is on the Jose Mourinho and Anthony Martial you know Goes for, a, goes for a header and he collides with a Watford player and he very clearly is concussed. Uh, and he plays the remainder of the game. And I remember Mourinho being vocally unhappy with Martial, as he often was. Um, but, for, but for the remainder of that game, Martial didn't look at it. He, 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 you know, it it's hard to see Martial be enthusiastic at the best of the times, but he just didn't look at the races. And we are talking after Maguire's played a great game, but there are times where you get concussed and you, you you can't, you don't know your left from your right. The concussion test is not foolproof. And if you are a player who is very, very dedicated on surviving concussion tests, as we've seen numerous football players, um, Javier Mascarano in the 2014 World Cup semi-final was very clearly concussed and very much did not want to go off against the Netherlands. And he sort of fibbed his answers. We know football players very often want to cheat or, you know, avoid loop you know go through loopholes on concussion tests because they don't want to go off playing games of football harry Maguire passes concussion tests and played 90 minutes looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let's talk about Bruno Fernandes because he'd had quite a bit of criticism, Andy, this week. He's had quite a bit of criticism throughout the season, really. And criticism for wearing the armband as well, but that was very much a captain's goal at the end from him and well-timed as well, considering all the scrutiny that we're talking about. I thought he was better off the ball than, than on it until the end. Uh, he drew a pretty easy save from Lino on, on 33 minutes. He overhit a cross. I thought... He, like United in attack, were pretty limp. The ball wasn't getting to Rasmus Hoyland. There's a weak appeal for a penalty. I keep using the word weak here, but that's how I felt it was. Um, he lost possession. I just don't think it was happening for Bruno Fernandes, but he finished really strongly. There was a good free kick late on, and then he got the winner. And that's all we will remember from Bruno Fernandes at Fulham. That, that, that was needed more than anything, but... I don't think he played particularly well and I don't think a lot of the players in the Manchester United team, but it was it was needs must to get that win. The game plan looked to be McTominay was going to join Fernandez and the fullbacks wherever possible and they were going to really try and push Fulham back while Ericsson would drop deep, collect the ball for the centre-backs and then try and ping it over the top. We've seen United try that back in the day where the person trying to ping it over the top was either Pogba or Fred. Pogba's the best version of doing that because he's got the best form of long pass and Ericsson's Long passing is, yeah, 7 out of 10, I'd say. Um, we're also talking at a point in time where, where McTominay genuinely does seem to be the best attacking option Ten Hag has, or at least the, the most consistent attacking option Ten Hag looks to build around. Top scorer. He's, a, he's your top scorer. He was the player of the month for, for October. Um, I will ask you a question, Ian. Do you think Bruno Fernandes is finding Hoyland? No. I think the only player who's been... Tr- been finding Hoyland is Rashford and even that's been few and far between really he's trying more than he's succeeding in that sense but yeah he's really starved of service Hoyland isn't he Andy he didn't have a single chance I don't think his hold up play was was good he's he's trying I like the look of him but if you're not getting on the ball and you're a striker then you're not going to score goals if you're a striker so Saturday was was another struggle I, I still think he will come good but the more the games go on, the more the, the pressure builds. I think he's cut slack. Is it on Hoyland, Andy, why he's not getting the chances? Not, not, not only on him, no. no, cause, Because he's a young lad. A, a team like Manchester United shouldn't be reliant on a 20-year-old um, new, new signing. If you think of there's great players who've come into the team and really struggled, like Diego Forlan, and he had world-class strikers around him. So I wouldn't put pressure on onto Hoyland, but the more the more games that he goes without scoring, the more it will become no. a, a talking point. But this team doesn't score. 
we said it in the last podcast, the, the statistics are stark. It doesn't score. And that's one of the things that will have to change. That's only secondary to to getting um, free points, but it, it is a team which, which doesn't create a lot. I did see some stats about how Manchester United are punished by VAR more than more than other teams. I thought that was a goal um, seven minutes in. I thought United started brightly, as the team often do. Um, but maybe I wanted it to be a goal as well. I was looking at it with 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 my eyes because I, I didn't have a screen. Well, there was quite a lot online about it, as there often is, and we even had a few messages from from the, you know listeners saying you need to talk about this, you need to talk about it, because it it does feel like United have been on the wrong end of quite a few goals being ruled out. Um, objective offside, uh, Carl, is um, one of your favourite topics, I believe. VAR was was meant to was brought in, and it was. I'm not going to say it was meant to. It was talked about as if it would bring up a clarity to the game and talk about objective decisions. Is this a yes or no decision? Um, now, Like offside. Like offside. So, as you said, Fulham doesn't have a big screen full of replays. It's got, you know, it's got the clock and it's got a score. Fine. Boom. So, when the... When the goal goes in, you, know, you have that, ha, oh, good, United have scored early. At first, I'm looking to see if Garnacho is offside. I realise Garnacho is onside, so that's that's totally fine. And then it's only with repeated replays that you realise that the referees, who are not mic'd up and not, you know, if you don't have television, um, you don't have the comms explaining to you that they're looking at Maguire. Uh, it grazes Maguire's thigh, or it seems like Maguire's fouling the centre-back. No, it, it was that Maguire was challenging for the ball and he was affecting the defender's ability to defend the free kick. That was the official line. So there you are. Uh, so me in Craven Cottage and I'd go watching that match of day, I know infinitely less about what actually happened. Yeah, and, and that's the point a lot of the time is that the fans inside the stadium are the ones who are in the dark about yep. these sorts of decisions. I, I mean, I remember covering a game uh, last season between Nottingham Forest and Newcastle and I had access to all the comms that I needed and I was in the ground and everything else pitch side reporting and a Newcastle goal was ruled out and I had absolutely no idea having watched several replays and listened to the commentary what the point of clarification was that the referee was going over to the screen for this is the first time I'd heard about the idea of subjective offside and he was basically ruling about whether a clearance from Felipe in the Forest defence was a deliberate action or not. So that blew my mind at that point. And then I guess this one for a lot of Manchester United fans, it's blown their minds as well because um, the, the actual sort of question about Maguire and whether he's offside or not is is not totally clear, Andy, is it? No, and the, the point about fans watching on a screen knowing more than fans in the stadium, I think is, 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 is a wrong so the fans who've paid the most to be at the game, they've travelled to the game and they are left in the dark about what's happening in front of their eyes. I just don't think that's a healthy situation for for, for anybody. It also took, it took four and a half minutes to come to a decision. It shouldn't take that long because at, at a certain point, it just feels like a waste of time. So when they talked it off, I went, yeah, fine, whatever. You've wasted four minutes of my life. Just get on with it. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's talk about Marcus Rashford then. Left out of the squad, Manchester United said that he had a knock, that he'd uh, failed a, a late fitness test, it sounds like, for the match at Fulham. But obviously it came after Eric Ten Hag criticised him for a night out after the Manchester derby in Manchester at China Whites, where I was rejected from a few weeks ago because I didn't have any ID, despite the fact that I'm not that far off 40. Carl, what's the what's the line behind this? Uh, the team sheet was announced at 1130 uh, the messaging came through that Marcus sustained a knock in training uh, and he failed the fitness test early on Saturday morning, but he had travelled with the squad. He was with a number of Manchester United players uh, at Craven Cottage wearing a white baseball cap. Uh, and, and I believe, Andy, you said he had a limp as he got to the ground? Yeah, yeah, I believe it. I don't think any of the fans outside the ground believed it when we heard the news, but I I, I, I do believe it. Um, he was rested against um, Newcastle um, but he, he was limping when he arrived because um, you can you can see everything there um, so I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree I, I thought he would be playing up until Thursday so I'd take the club's version of events here but I realise that a lot of people might might be doubtful of that after the week he had Ten Hag elaborated on things further at full time and he said he wasn't aware of any issue with Rashford until after the Friday press conference. Uh, and then he said, you know, the complaint was too much to bear. Rashford sort of, uh, well, it seems to give some sort of indication that we'll, we'll give it a go. And then on Saturday it became too much. And he said, you know, it became too much of a risk to play him. So I, I just kept him out of the squad. From what we know about Rashford generally, he, you know, he's played many, many, many games for Manchester United, not 100%. And carrying some form of an injury, so if if Rashford is legitimately going up and saying, "Look, I've got a knocking train, and this is too much," I'm not. I'll, you, know, I'll, you can see a version of events where Rashford has a knock, tries to tough it out, and then it's only at the last minute they go, "Nah, it's not worth it." So yeah, the, the club's version adds up to me as well. It's funny how, how how he was in the nightclub on Sunday night, and it only became news on Saturday, six days later because there was no press conference last week because the manager wasn't wasn't asked about it. So I, I believe the club's version. I guess that's the next question, really. What do we think about, one, Marcus being in the nightclub after the Manchester derby, and two, Eric Ten Hag publicly criticising another one of his players? I don't think you should be going out to a club having lost and been hammered in the Manchester derby. I do think humans are allowed to, to celebrate uh, their birthdays but you're in the middle of a busy schedule, there's training every single day. If you're losing like that, then I don't think you should be doing that. I don't even think you should be doing it if, you, if you're winning the match, if you've got training, because you've got training, you're supposed to be 100% when, when, you're, when you're training. But it's also true that when you're winning, you can get away with, with a lot more than that. So as far as, far as we know, you know, it's a pre-planned, pre-booked table, private event at China White's. He attended, he, he made training, 
on the Monday. He, he, was, he, he was on time and there seemed to be no complaints. Uh, I did find it odd that Ten Hag used the word like unacceptable. What was it stronger than you thought? It was stronger than I thought, and it also it felt like giving. It also felt like creating an unnecessary headline at a time where there's going to be a lot of headlines about Manchester United. If you're the player, the question is: Should you be going out anyway at a time where there's going to be loads of eyes on you, and that this and it might end up annoying a lot of people, and your discretion may vary there. And then if you're the manager, should you be answering questions about this at a time where form isn't good, and there's already a lot of people talking about how much control you have over the dressing room? So we can just answer it by saying, I've spoken to him, as opposed to saying something that is likely to create more of a debate around the situation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, th- I think if, so Ten Hag said, I've, you know, I'm aware of it, it's unacceptable. And then elaborated on further and said, I've talked to him about it. He's apologised. It's an internal discussion. He was asked about it again. I went, it's an internal discussion. To me, I'm going, well, if it's an internal discussion, why on earth are you calling it unacceptable? If, you've, if it's already been dealt with in, in-house, just keep it in house. Don't call it unacceptable. And it's uh, this is my journal hat on. When you describe something as unacceptable, that's the back page, right? It's just one word, unacceptable, on the back page of a newspaper, rather than the more complex thing you described there about it being internal. Just don't use one word calling it unacceptable when it's more complex than apparently what meets the eye. Are you convinced by Ten Hag's? press conferences Carl by what he's saying you cut him any slack because English is his is his second language you don't know the nuance of the meaning of, of every single word uh, after the Derby defeat he he gave an interview to De Vire play in, in the Netherlands and it was reported that he said Manchester United will never play like Ajax uh, so in an effort to cut him some slack rather than go with what Google Translate and what the aggregator said uh, I went up to my lovely girlfriend who is born in the Netherlands, and I said, Leah, could you please have a look at this and translate it for me to make sure 100% I'm not losing any nuance in what Ten Hag is trying to say. And Leah is very, very nice and said, yeah, no problem. Translates it for me so I, I don't miss a single bit of context as to what Ten Hag is saying. We then put this as a new story on The Athletic, explaining why he said Manchester United will never play like Ajax. Ten Hag is asked about these series of quotes on Friday. And he went, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant was X, Y, Z. And I'm just sort of sat there going, hang on, hang on. No, 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 no. You cannot play that I was mistranslated line. <laughs> here, here. I bought flowers for my girlfriend for doing the translation work. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got a lot of stick actually after the last podcast for caring too much about what Eric Ten Hag said in press conferences. Quite a few people said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about What we were trying to convey was that at a time where Manchester United are not at their best, we want to try and understand from the manager exactly why, what the reasons for it might be. And the press conference is essentially the only way that we're getting that. The only opportunity that he's got to communicate, not just with us, but with the listeners, with Manchester United fans generally, about exactly what his vision is, what the situation is. And yes, there's a language barrier, but but yes, he's been here over a year now. And there has been times where he's felt like... He has explained clearly, using that word clear like you put in your article, Carl, as well. And I should have said before, Carl's take on Fulham is on The Athletic. You can go and have a look at his piece there where he talks about the clarity or lack of in which Manchester United are playing at the moment. So so that was the point with that. Obviously, he'll have another press conference tomorrow to preview FC Copenhagen, and that's exactly what we're going to do now. Must win, simple as. Next question, Andy, you'll tell me. Well, it is against a team who 
are in pot four and have got a far better home record than anybody else in that pot. Away, they're a little bit ropey, but at home, they are formidable. I've said way before the home game, their fans are incredible. I think we saw that at Old Trafford. Expect a fire pit in Copenhagen, the Park and Stadium, four stands right on top of the pitch. It is a, it is a huge game. Um, if Manchester United lose that game, then qualification from this group is in, is looking improbable. Maybe that's the best thing that Manchester United go to the Europa League because there's not a chance this team is going to be winning the, the Champions League uh, this season. But we're going there. We want Manchester United to win when they're there. Hopefully build on some momentum from the win against uh, Fulham. Copenhagen had a good win at the weekend. They scored four goals. Over Manchester United scoring four goals in a match. Let's see what changes are made. You know, Facundo Palestra did very well when he came on against Fulham. I'm sure he deserves more minutes. He was more of a danger. But my overriding feeling is it, it's a very, very difficult game. Big teams have gone to Copenhagen in far better form than Manchester United and have not won. Well, I think I said it before, the home tie, Carl, but you know, Danish journalists were telling me that this was the match of the decade for FC Copenhagen going to Old Trafford. Well, I'm guessing this match now is even more important and being at home as well, hosting Manchester United will be you know, a huge occasion for the club and for the city and the country as well. I mean, in terms of matching that energy, United are going to have to be bang up for this, aren't they? If they are to get away Absolutely. from there with the result that they need because anything less than a win... Like Andy says, there's huge question marks about maybe even getting into the Europa League. Absolutely. You know, we're, you look at this group and the Europa League spot, that third place, is up for grabs. Galatasaray will be looking at this game as well, going, we could do with a favourable result to make sure our chances are okay. The only thing really guaranteed in, in this group is, is Bayern Munich are probably going to top it and everyone else has to scrap. So this is not a time for six out of ten performances. This is not a time... For, for Anthony to lose possession on 10 occasions as he did against Fulham. He was poor, wasn't he? When was he last good? I was going to say against Barcelona in, in the Europa League. Yeah, fair. And so I, I asked Tenard, do you think Europa League football or European football suits uh, Anthony better because the pace is different? And Tenard completely rebuffed it. Uh, and then Anthony went on to score against Barcelona and Real Betis. And I sort of went, hmm. He, he does seem to prefer continental competition than the pace of the Premier League. He was really poor against Fulham he was booed by the home fans um, and his ins his repeated insistence the cut inside on his left made it very very easy for defenders to win the ball back because they all just sort of go well, I'll just I'll keep pace with him and Anthony's not especially rapid and you just have to wait for him to begin that cutting side motion and you just stick your leg out and you win the ball very very quickly so yeah, Robinson's quite a dynamic fullback as well he tends to struggle against players like yeah. that it's quite aggressive not that he looked at it when Palestri was closing in on the 91st minute, though. Hey. Palestri was really good, and that goal doesn't happen if it wasn't for him actively looking to win the ball high up the field. And th this is what Ten Hag really wants. I asked Ten Hag about this before Fulham. I said, you keep talking about winning the ball high up the field, and you keep talking about regains. You do. You know, United statistically are good at winning the ball high up the field. They're not very good at turning those wins into shoot shooting opportunities. And Ten Hag's like, you know, I'm aware of that. We're working on it, and lo and behold, they had a shooting opportunity after high regain. It was a winning goal. That's the sort of thing they need against FC Copenhagen. When we talk about this confusion of what Ten Hag is saying, I think we keep when he keep when Ten Hag talks about transition football, it's not just counter attacks. It's also winning the ball high up 
in their penalty area and then just making the five-yard pass when there's only one man to beat and scoring. It's also counter-pressing after you've lost the ball by the centre circle so then when they're disorganised, you can run up and score, which is what Newcastle did to United in the League Cup. And then on top of that, there is the bit where they look a bit disorganised and let's just pump it really, really long and then go have your nippy quick striker go off and score. Ten argues this term, you have to press at all levels. And I think that's... That's the bit he's got to elaborate on. And that's the bit United have to get much better on. They are having a go at punting it long and having Scott McTominay crash the box. They need other ver- they need other things on top of that as well. It's going to be a huge game for Hoyland as well, isn't it, Andy? Going back to Copenhagen. Obviously, his brother came on as a sub uh, in the game at Old Trafford. This would be the time for him to find his scoring boots again, wouldn't it? Personally for him, but also for the team as well. Oh, that, that would just be fantastic for everybody associated with Manchester United, if not... FC Copenhagen to do it. He's back back where he's from with his brothers there. I mean, back we, where rejected him in a way, yeah. and sort of cast him aside yeah, to they did. Sturm Graz as well. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely did. FC Copenhagen are a bigger club than Sturm Graz, so that wasn't him saying, "I'm moving up in in the world." And uh, he was great in the mix zone after the home game. Would be wonderful for him to score and to be in the mix zone after the the away game as well. To and presumably, Carl, you're treating Andy to more than a bag of Maltesers in Copenhagen on your next uh, away trip together. Yeah, I mean, I still get the Maltesers, don't worry. But uh, I, I think I think I'll be a a more compliant shadow and assistant for whatever plans he's got on Tuesday as well. So, <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Right. Well, you two enjoy yourselves. Obviously, we'll be back on the podcast after that FC Copenhagen game. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you want to read about some of the articles we've talked about today, you can join now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. If you want to let us know your thoughts on the situation with Manchester United, any questions you've got for the guys at any point, remember you can always email us devilspod at theathletic.com. But for the moment, Andy, thank you. Carl, thank you. And thanks for listening at home. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.